Welcome to the Amaze Podcast. Amaze creates free educational videos and resources to help families talk openly, honestly, and less awkwardly about sex, health, relationships, and growing up. Our goal is to help you become an askable parent so your kids trust that you're their go-to for honest, non-judgmental information. In today's episode, I chat with the amazing Roby Harris. Roby's groundbreaking sex ed books, including titles such as It's Perfectly Normal, It's So Amazing, and It's Not the Stork, have served as key educational resources for countless families, and two of her titles are among the American Library Association's most challenged books of the 21st century. Roby and I talk about her path as an author, key conversational topics to address with kids, why parents struggle so much talking to kids about how babies are made, and how to get to the other side of that struggle, and more. Let's have a listen. Hello, friends. I am so delighted to be joined today by the wonderful Roby Harris. Hello, Roby Harris. How are you? Hello, Christine. I'm so happy to be on your on the podcast. And talk with you. Yes, I I am admittedly having a bit of a fangirl moment. Um, You are a hero to me, both as a parent and a professional in so many ways. And I'm just delighted that, you know, despite all manner of tech trying to get in our way, we are making this happen and it is very exciting. So I would love to start by talking to you about your book, It's Perfectly Normal, originally published in 1994. There's a re-release for 2021 around the corner. This is like a groundbreaking book. So I would love to start right at the beginning and, you know, have you tell our listeners what led you to write this resource for kids 10 and up? Well, you won't believe this, but in 1988, the day after uh, election, I was sitting in an editor's office in New York and he said to me, and we were talking about the state of children in America and how much help they needed, uh, both from, um, you know, from the government and foundations. Uh, we needed to help them, uh, to be healthy. And I agreed with that. And he said, would you like to write a book on HIV and AIDS? And we didn't even call it HIV then. And I looked at him and never thought about this before. And I thought, um, I said to him, well, I, what I would write would be a comprehensive book that could answer almost every question most kids have about growing up, puberty, sex, uh, uh, whatever the questions they had about their bodies when it came to sexual health. And it would be a book, it would be a book on how to stay healthy because mm-hmm. most kids enter puberty healthy. Mm-hmm. And this is a book that roughly is for roughly kids nine, ten, and up. Uh, so uh, that that was the age for it. Yeah. And no, please go ahead. Well, I I then went home that evening and I and I asked my my own kids what we had uh, told them and what we hadn't told them. We thought we'd done a great job, but then they told me all the things that we'd left out. <laughs> And I was making notes. And then um, later on, um, and then that night I called everybody I knew. I lived in Cambridge, Mass. at the time, in in the Cambridge area and even in Washington and out in San Francisco who had anything to do with all of the topics I wanted to put in this book. And I said, hi, my name is Roby Harris. None of, a lot of them didn't know who I was when I said I wanted to write a book 
about children's sexual health, I'd like to talk to them. No one turned me down. Mm. Everybody wanted to help kids. People wanted to help kids. And that was the beginning of that book. And then I brought aboard uh, my friend, Michael Emberly, because I can't draw for beans. And we sat down and talked about how if it was in the best interest of kids, no matter what it was, it was going into this book. And I would be told that my career would be over and Michael's would be, well, you know, 35 books or so later, Mm -hmm. not over. It is most certainly not over. And um, I think it's, I, I cannot recommend this book enough to people. Um, it is on our, you know, it's in our rotation with my kids. And, um, you know, you followed up to you, your career was most certainly not over because a few years later you came out with It's So Amazing. <laughs> and then It's Not the Stork. And, um, you know, I think it's actually kind of an honor that your books are so challenged because, and it's a little ridiculous also because they're challenged as being controversial for just being honest. So, I mean, it's really quite amazing, this journey that you've been on. Well, as a writer and as a parent and grandparent, um, I really, and my mother was this way, and so was my father. Um, we, I really felt that, that if we're not honest with our kids and what we say to them or what I write for them or what Michael Amberly drew for them in these books, if we don't, are honest and, and tell kids what they need to know, then they'll stop listening to us because they know. Mm-hmm. And then they then they will get misinformation, which today we know mm-hmm. even more than ever is mm-hmm. really scary. We want kids to have age-appropriate, scientifically and medically accurate information in order to make healthy decisions for themselves and their friends mm-hmm. when it comes to sexual health, when it comes to all of their health. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so the reason um, I wrote it so amazing, I mean, I went the opposite way, is that parents who had, and, and teachers and librarians, who either had families or worked with kids, knew that they, that many families had younger kids. And so people were saying to me, what about my seven-year-old, my eight-year-old? My nine-year-old, my four-year-old, my Mm five-year-old. And then I thought, well, the most, one of the science's most amazing stories is how a sperm and egg get together. Mm -hmm. And again, I used, used in the best sense. I met with so many experts. I was not an expert. I had to learn a lot, but everything in these books is checked by the top people in their fields in many, many, many uh, places around the country. Mm-hmm. And that makes me sleep at night because yes, I feel like of course. That, that, I'm, that, that I'm being honest and I'm being as accurate and as up-to-date as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, many parents, as you know, are very overwhelmed by the prospect of even just getting started with these conversations. I decided to do a little dig into, um, you know, as you may know, at Amaze, we have a, a junior kind of series of videos, which is all kind of resources for um, parents and kids in the four to nine uh, year, old, year old range. So really that it's not the stork range for you. And um, 
it's funny, you know, there's so many topics that kids need, parents need to cover with kids. And I'd be curious to hear just in your, you know, years of experience and seeing your books get republished and talking with so many people, in your opinion, what are the most crucial, super basic concepts? Like where would you recommend a parent start in educating young kids about their bodies? Well, here's the first thing, and that is that kids start wondering about their bodies from the time that they're infants, okay? Mm -hmm. You change a diaper, the two-year-old sibling is watching or a cousin, but the baby itself may be touching one's genitals, right? Their Mm -hmm. genitals. So they're finding out, and we sort of, many people think that's okay, and then, of course, you have to finish the diaper changing, right? That's that. That's that's the end of that for that that moment. So children are are aware from infancy onward about their bodies, and it seems to me that that really, um, what I would say to parents is to start as early as you can. Listen to your kids. Listen to their questions. Not mm-hmm. all kids have questions. But during bath time, I mean, we have a book called Who Has What, which names all the parts of the body inside and outside for kids three, four, five, you know, just naming all the parts of the body instead of, you know, head, shoulders, knees and toes. Fine to sing in school. Mm-hmm. All generations sing it. <laughs> but it seems to me you don't leave out elbows, right? You don't leave out knees. You don't leave out eyes. Why are we leaving out the genitals, right? Mm-hmm. So to normalize it and getting back to that idea, it's perfectly normal. And in my kids' marvelous elementary school, um, that was the word that was used. It was this was taught in the science class uh, as part of science from uh, four-year-olds on. Uh, whether they had, you know, guinea pigs, you know, children have pets, they have, you know, dogs, cats. So they see all these body parts that have to do with making a baby. Mm-hmm. So why not just try to, 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 to normalize them? Uh, it seems to me that's really important. And, and what I would say to kids, which isn't quite answering your question, um, yes, it's hard for parents. <laughs> Right. Easier for me to talk about it as a writer. Right. But for parents, it's hard. So I think you just, you know, need to dig in. No, at least I know for myself, I made mistakes Mm -hmm. (laughs) and say, you know, I love you. I want you to stay healthy. You know, let's share this book together. Mm -hmm. Some won't want to share it. Let's let's look at the pictures together. Some won't want to do that. And then if they don't want to, you just leave, you know, Michael's in my book or, you know, there are other books on this topic as well. You leave them around back of the toilet, (laughs) Mm -hmm. kitchen table, next to the computer, you know, and suddenly for many families, they suddenly see their children beginning to look. And so you can move slowly. And I think the other quick thing I want to say about that. You can, you don't have to answer and you don't have to do it all on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, if some parents had a, you know, had a traumatic event when it comes uh, to, to sex, they may not be able to talk about it. Um, 
so they can ask a trust one's uh, healthcare provider, uh, places like 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 Planned Parenthood, go to a maze. And uh, you can say to your your child, you know, maybe now's the time to share it. And eventually they'll want to do it. Older kids will, will want to read it, you know, may want to read it on her, their own. And you can ask them if they, if they have any questions. And the other thing is when I say you you don't have to answer their questions right away, you can say, you know, that's a question. I need to find out more about it. And you can answer it three days later or a week later. And call someone in your, you know, environment and in your family, someone you trust, and ask them where you can get a good answer for their question. Mm-hmm. So yep. we don't have to be totally alone as as parents. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one, um, when you mentioned about leaving resources just kind of around, um, I completely agree. And it really makes me think about something that I've learned from, you know, Amaze's team of fabulous educators. And we've talked about this frequently is that this is never, ever going to be one conversation. You know, people talk, use that phrase, yeah, the, ta- the talk. It's never the talk. It's a series of teeny little conversations and a whole bunch of them over time. So, I think that's what I love about the idea of, you know, leaving resources around just so kids can pick them up and ask a question. And if and if you don't know the answer as a parent, that's also OK. You can say, let's look it up together. I think it's it's more of a in my opinion, you know, as a parent and in the work I do with Amaze, it's more of a, you know, kind of family process than I think a lot of people think of. Would you would you agree with that? Oh, I absolutely agree, agree with it. And one of the reasons talk about talking you know, people talking about these topics. I wanted to have the voices of children in this book. And mm. first I had I had a boy and a girl and I thought, no, 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 it would mean a boy would say one boy say one thing, girl say other. And I suddenly came up with this idea of the bird and the bee, which is from an old song. And therefore they could be, you know, any gender they they, they wouldn't they wouldn't, uh, you know, represent one gender or another gender uh, or, or transgender kids or whatever. You could identify with them. And they provide, you know, some laughs. Uh, and they, they talk the way kids would talk. Like the bird is that kid we all know <laughs> who wants to know the answer to every single question and will ask it in the supermarket <laughs> checkout line. Or, you know, when you're taking them to sort of some event and suddenly they blurt out this question and you sort of want to go under the chair, you know, but um, they're asking and having the talk. And the bird is the kid who wants to know the answer to every single question. And the bee, who interestingly enough, is more like me. I'm more like a bee um, when I was when I was a kid, except I had parents who did talk to me. But the bee is the kid who's a little shy about it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at the beginning thinks it's all kind of gross and disgusting, right? But as the books move on, becomes absolutely fascinated by the science. Mm-hmm. And the science, talk about amaze and amazing, the science is fascinating of how an egg and sperm or put it the other way, a sperm and egg get together. And we even have the egg and sperm, which we talked with these 
this reproductive biologist at Harvard Medical School who taught PhD students who said, we took him and showed him the drawings and then the, the deck. And we said, can we have the, the bird, the, the, the sperm and the egg actually talk? And he said, of course. <laughs> and then he said, because you're, you're, you're trying to make a point. And he said, my doctoral students, I'm MD doctoral students are so serious. Could I get copies of them and, and, and project them so they can see it? So, so they can sort of relax about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and still learn at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I have a question. You know, I wanted to talk about this this very talk, topic of babies because I have found it so fascinating in these years that I've been working with Amaze that um, this this question, well, so going back to Amaze Jr., the kid-facing videos, the two videos, How Are Babies Made and Where Do Babies Come From, are the most watched by far kid-facing videos. And then, you know, also on the parent side, that is routinely the question we hear that parents are most terrified to address, even though it's a simple, you know, it's a thing that happens all the time, like babies are happening all the time. You know, obviously, you have authored entire books on this topic. Why do you think this conversation remains so difficult for parents? And do you have any simple sample language that you know, parents could try out to answer those kinds of questions for kids? Well, first of all, it's very personal for parents because they feel like they're being asked about their own sex life, right? (laughs) And and wanting to make a baby. And, you know, know, some people are happy to talk about it, but a lot of people aren't, especially when your child's looking at you right in the face, right? Mm -hmm. So so I think it's not not strange that it's hard for parents um to answer the question but that's exactly why i wrote these books and michael illustrated them so they could serve as a model for conversations um that you have with your child and the same thing when you say you don't have the talk all the time when you read a book on books on sexual health or share it with a child um, you don't have to read the whole book. You don't have to copy, copy you know, uh, uh, read read every 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 topic. Um, and it seems to me that really, um, my 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 only words of uh, advice is that when you're talking with your your kids, if somebody comes up and says, "My friend says this," or "My friend's family believes this." This is a wonderful time to talk about your own values mm. and what you think about and how, you know, how you can um, talk with your friends and how you can respect your friends. And even talking at a very early age about consent. You don't have to use the word. And I'll, I think maybe I'll read something a little later quickly uh, about that, which is in um, in the youngest book. It's not the stork. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, you know, one interesting thing that, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that, you know, that It's Perfectly Normal came out in 1994 and your books have been updated and re-released over the years. And, you know, I'm curious about 
what you would say are the most notable topic additions? Because I feel like certainly even our language about how we talk about some topics in sex ed has changed. So, you know, what what are those topics? And I'm also curious, have they been the additions to the books been driven sort of by your own observations or reader requests or both? I'm I'm just curious to hear. First of all, I talk with kids Mm. (laughs) and ask them, you know, who knew the book? Uh, sorry, public school or uh, obviously permission from parents <laughs> to do so. Uh, public school kids, uh, independent school kids, um, kids from even kids in, 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 in Texas where, uh, their parents didn't believe that these kids should read these books, mm, mm-hmm. but they allowed them to talk with me. That was set up through a librarian. So, so, so I certainly would, you know, talk, talk with, with, with kids about this. Um, and, but I also went back and brought in new people and a lot of times younger, you know, um, pediatricians, scientists, uh, reproductive biologists, you name it, every single field. <laughs> and I, and I would ask them to look at the text for me and meet with me and talk with me and um so I was doing some of it on my own but everything in every single new edition we we do the new edition be, because things change and a lot of things stay the same so obviously gender mm-hmm. has moved Issues about, and I don't really want to use the word issues, but the topic of gender has has changed dramatically and quickly over time, even within the last five years. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's so amazing that there's a chapter called "What Sex," and we added a chapter for this um, for the new edition that'll be out in the fall of "It's So Amazing." We added, I added, I said, you know, we got to have a separate chapter that says. What's gender? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so there's a fuller uh, explanation, you know, in all of these books as things change. And uh, I must say that my publisher feels that if there were major changes of huge science breakthroughs, they would go back to press mm-hmm. um, for that. So I, it's it's a it's a community of people working together, from editor to designer to all the wonderful um, people who work on the book, to all the wonderful people who are doing the work on the front lines. And I, I really want to commend the librarians because um, we go back to censorship, which we talked about earlier. I'm, you know, sit in front of my computer in my office, right? And then they let me out every once in a while when I have a meeting <laughs> or I'm going to speak somewhere. Well, now I'm doing it, you know, virtually uh, during this very difficult time of COVID. But the librarians have been on the front lines um, and they defend our democracy. They sure do. And yep. when I say that, I have had librarians who have said, and I think they're real heroes of our democracy who said to me, Roby, I would not have your books in my own home for my own collection because of my beliefs. But it's my job as a public librarian to have a range of books 
And so, therefore, that are well reviewed. That means by all the, you know, the, the reviewers, mm-hmm. whether it's a newspaper or something called Publishers Weekly or whatever. And uh, it's my responsibility as a public. It's almost like their oath, which we keep talking mm-hmm. about hearing mm-hmm. the word today, to provide a range of materials and, and then let children and their families choose what makes them feel comfortable. And I, I, I just think they're, they're the best. <laughs> they, they are most certainly the best for that reason. And I have shared uh, numerous times, you know, online that the librarians and the library system, that's what's kept me going through this pandemic. Let me tell you. And also I should say one, la- one quick thing about, about um, the, the librarians. Uh, they really, they, they really know their kids. And if a parent doesn't want a child to have a book, they can go in and talk to the librarian and figure out what to do with their, for their family. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of ways to do and I think respect other people's values because my values come through as a parent, as a, you know, as a citizen. Uh, in these books by what I choose to write about and the things that I choose to put in there. That's okay if someone disagrees with me. Mm-hmm. I would never say that every library, every family, every uh, school should have my books. Anybody who chooses to should have them and anybody who chooses not to, that's their right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I feel very comfortable about that. Good, good, very good. Well, Speaking of those books, um, we had talked before we hopped on our official recording here that uh, you might want to read a little excerpt uh, to share with our listeners. Are you ready to do that? I am. Okay, let's let's go. So here is, and it's perfectly normal, which is roughly for kids 9, 10 and up, preteens and teens. And here is some of the text in a chapter called What is Sex? What is sex? What is it exactly? What is it all about? These are questions lots of kids wonder about. You needn't feel embarrassed or stupid if you don't know the answers because sex is not a simple matter. Sex is many things and people have many different feelings and opinions about it. That's why there is more than one answer to the question, what is sex? And the bird says, sex is not just, and sex is just not any old hugging and kissing and it's not just about love, I know that much. The bee says, well, it's not just about making babies either. So uh, that's just to bring p- kids into the book. Mm-hmm. And it's so amazing, which is roughly for kids seven and up. Um, as I said, there's now a new chapter called What's Gender? But this is under also What's Sex? Um There's a good chance you know that making a baby has something to do with sex. Kids hear this word very early, by the way. I'm saying that now. And the bird says, I do know something about making a baby. And the bee has its head inside a book saying no comment. (laughs) (laughs) But you may not know exactly what sex is. Well, says the bee, I don't know exactly what S-E-X is, the bee. No comment. And the title of the book on, on the, uh, the bees, um, uh, book is Science for Bees. Certainly not reading about sex. And you may just wonder what sex has to do with eggs and sperm. 
the bee, the bird. Well, I do wonder about that. No comment <laughs> from the <laughs> Sex is how an egg and sperm can get together, but the word S-E-X, sex, like many words, means more than one thing. And the bee goes, huh? And the bird goes, no comment. <laughs> if you've looked at, and, and then it, it, um, it talks to you about looking at your birth certificate and, um, and then it talks about, about gender. Um, and transgender and where those words come from. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's just in that book. And then just quickly going down to this book, which parents should, again, they, they can figure out what age a book is for their child because if your child stops listening, uh, you know, they're probably, it's probably, they, they don't want to hear it because it's, uh, maybe too old. Mm-hmm. You can go to a younger book. So, so here's here's um, toward the end of that book, and it's called. Uh, this is the, a, a chapter on friendship on friends, and it comes after the chapter on okay touches, not okay touches. Um, so it goes: as you grow from a baby to a little kid to a big kid, it's fun to have a friend. It doesn't matter how many friends you have, or if you have friends, um, how many friends you have. What matters most is being a good friend, taking turns, sharing a toy, or playing a game together are great ways to be a good friend. Being nice when a friend feels bad or sad or mad is another way to be a good friend. Uh, the bird says, I don't like it at all when someone pulls my feathers, but I do like a nice hug. The bee, I never like to be pinched, but I do like a kiss when I bump or scrape a wing. Saying I'm sorry is a good way to to be a good friend. So is holding hands, giving a hug, or just talking with a friend. Anytime you do not want to hold hands or be touched or hugged or kissed by a friend, it's okay to tell a friend that. Or if a friend does not want to hold hands or be touched or hugged or kissed by you, that's okay. Good friends listen to each other. If a friend asks you to do something you don't want to do or think you shouldn't do, like climbing too high or teasing someone, or taking off your clothes, because kids have told us that, you can say, no, I won't do that, or I don't want to do that, even if your friends tell you it's okay to do it. You don't have to do everything a friend tells you or asks you to do. Friends do not have to do everything you tell them to do. It's also okay for friends to do different things and even get mad at each other. No matter what, it's nice to have a friend. And at the end, I left out some of the birds and bees, but uh, we didn't have time for them. But at the end of that, it, the bird, the bee, the bird says, "Glad you are my friend, my friend." And they've been arguing throughout this book mm-hmm. for the end. And the bee says, "Glad to hear that, my friend." And then it ends up in the next page. Growing up is so amazing, which I don't have time to read. I'd love to. <laughs> Well, I think that is, you know, that's sort of a perfect way to close because I think it really that a particular example of um, is essentially teaching kids to talk about consent. And, you know, one thing we talk about with parents a lot is that I think when you bring up the topic of consent, they think you have to talk about sex and it, it can just be as simple as talking about whether or not somebody wants to hug. And it can be very, very simple. <laughs> and for that age, it is. And if you start early. As we talked about and keep reading through, I want to add one last thing, and that is that if you haven't started 
really don't blame yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just roll up your sleeves, take a big breath and start. <laughs> oh, that is just the perfect, the perfect close. Roby Harris, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, taking the time out of your busy schedule as you're getting ready to, you know, release uh, this new release or updated release. Um, I am just so grateful to talk to you and um, it's, it's been wonderful sharing your voice and your um, wonderful talents with our community. Thank you so much. Well, you ask wonderful questions and I loved having the conversation with you and look forward to doing it again sometime. Great. Take care. (laughs) Thank you. You too. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To find more free educational resources from Amaze, including videos, book recommendations, conversational scripts, and more, visit amaze.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Amaze Parents and on Twitter at Amaze.org. And we'd be so grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.